Good evening, everyone. Welcome to New Hope Church. We want to welcome those of you watching us online as well. Woo! You guys having a good week so far? Yes. Well, we're going to get our hearts prepared to receive the tithes and offering at this time. You know, my husband and I, when we first got married, we made a commitment to each other that we would invest in our marriage. Um, and what did that look like? At first, I wasn't too sure. But we started to, we would go to uh, conferences. We would have date nights. We would learn to listen and communicate. In fact, we have our pause marriage conference coming up next week, February 7th and 8th. And yes, we are going to be having prime rib. I figure I say that to all of our guys out there that are maybe like, I wonder what they're going to have to eat. And if I have to say we're having prime rib to get you guys there, trust me, it'll be worth it. But part of us investing in something that you're committed to causes us to take action. You know, like my husband and I are celebrating 25 years this year. Yes. And I can, I can honestly say that I love him more today than I did in the beginning because of the investment that we both decided that that was our commitment to one another and to our children. And same thing, when we step into that commitment with Christ, we're saying that we're believing wholeheartedly what your word says. And his word does say for us to give. There's a blessing that is attached to everything that we give to the kingdom of God. There's a blessing that is attached, it comes back upon us. And we don't give because of that blessing. We give because the investment is for the long haul. For what God uses your tithes, your offering, your gifts to advance his kingdom and his will. And isn't that an amazing thing that we get to partner up with the king of the universe and say, I commit to this. It's so good what he has for us. And when we say yes to him, we're saying, I trust you. I trust your word to be the truth, and I stand on that. And the blessings, guys, the blessing that is attached to that is mind-blowing. I had no idea when I first got married that I would love, be able to love the way I love now. And I look forward to the next 25 and plus years of being able to develop that relationship. And just like that, that's how our God operates. And that's the gift and that's the blessing that he wants for his people as we step in obedience and our commitment to him. Let's pray. Oh, you're such a good father. Thank you, God, for having that union with us that we get to come into that covenant, come into that commitment with you and knowing that just because we love you, there is that blessing that comes back upon your children. Thank you for blessing the tithes and the offerings and the gifts that your children give with a cheerful heart. May they be blessed and may those gifts be used to go and reach more people for your son, Jesus. Bless the giver and bless the tithes as well. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. You know, these past few Wednesday nights, Pastor Sheldon has been taking us through the journey of the Bible. Have you guys been enjoying this or what? 
It has been eye-opening. I love the animation. I love the stories. I love how we get to kind of like get in it together. And we are going to start going into Exodus and seeing how, you know, Moses and Aaron going and approaching the Pharaoh and, and hey, you're going to let our people go. And this is how God shows his glory. So get excited because we're going to like open up the Bible. We're going to dive right in and let's watch this together. The book of Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible and it picks up the storyline from the previous book, Genesis, which ended with Abraham's grandson, Jacob, leading his large family of 70 people down to Egypt. Now, Jacob's 11th son, Joseph, had been elevated to second in command over Egypt, and he had saved his whole family in a famine. And so Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, offered the family to come live there as a safe haven. And so eventually Jacob dies there in Egypt, and Joseph and all his brothers do too. About 400 years pass, and the story of the Exodus begins. Now, that name refers to the event that takes place in the first half of the book, Israel's Exodus from Egypt. But the book has a second half that takes place at the foot of Mount Sinai. In this video, we'll just focus on the first half, where centuries have passed, and the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied, and they filled the land. Now, this line is a deliberate echo back to the blessing that God gave all humanity back in the Garden of Eden. And it reminds us of the big biblical story so far. Humanity forfeited God's blessing through sin and rebellion, and so God chose Abraham's family as the vehicle through which he would restore his blessing to all the world. But the new Pharaoh does not view Israel as a blessing. He actually thinks this growing Israelite immigrant group is a threat to his power. And so just as in Genesis, humanity rebels against God's blessing, so here Pharaoh attempts to destroy the source of God's blessing, the Israelites. He brutally enslaves them in forced labor, and then he orders that all the Israelite boys be drowned in the Nile River. Now, Pharaoh, he is the worst character in the Bible so far. His kingdom epitomizes humanity's rebellion against God. Pharaoh has so redefined good and evil according to his own interests that even the murder of innocent children has become good to him. And so Egypt has become worse than Babylon from the book of Genesis. And so now Israel cries out for help against this new Babylon and God responds. God first turns Pharaoh's evil upside down as an Israelite mother throws her boy into the Nile River, but in a basket. And so he floats safely right down into Pharaoh's own family. He's named Moses, and he grows up to eventually become the man that God will use to defeat Pharaoh's evil. In the famous story of the burning bush, God appears to Moses and commissions him to go to Pharaoh and order him to release the Israelites. And God says that he knows Pharaoh will resist, and so he will bring his judgment on Egypt in the form of plagues. Then God also says that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. And so we're introduced into the next main part of the story, the confrontation between God and Pharaoh. Now, what does this mean that God says he'll harden Pharaoh's heart? It's super important to read this section of the story really closely and in sequence. In Moses and Pharaoh's first encounter, we're told simply that Pharaoh's heart grew hard. There's no implication that God did anything. 
And so in response, God sends the first set of five plagues, each one confronting Pharaoh and one of his Egyptian gods. And each time, Moses offers a chance for Pharaoh to humble himself and to let the Israelites go. But after each plague, we're told that Pharaoh either hardened his heart or that his heart grew hard. He's doing this of his own will. And so eventually, it's with the second set of five plagues that we begin to hear how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So the point of the story seems to be this. Even though God knew that Pharaoh would resist his will, God still offered him all of these chances to do the right thing. But eventually, Pharaoh's evil reaches a point of no return. I mean, even his own advisors think that he has lost his mind. And it's at that point that God takes over and bends Pharaoh's evil towards his own redemptive purposes. God lures Pharaoh into his own destruction as he saves his people, which is what happens next. With the final plague, it's the night of Passover, and God turns the tables on Pharaoh. Just as he killed the sons of the Israelites, so God will kill the firstborn in Egypt with a final plague. But unlike Pharaoh, God provides a means of escape through the blood of the lamb. And here the story stops and introduces us in detail to the annual Israelite ritual of Passover. On the night before Israel left Egypt, they sacrificed a young spotless lamb and painted its blood on the doorframe of their house. And when the divine plague came over Egypt, the houses covered with the blood of the lamb were passed over and the sun spared. And so every year since, the Israelites have reenacted that night to remember and to celebrate God's justice and his mercy. But Pharaoh, because of his pride and rebellion, he loses his own son, and he's compelled to finally let the Israelites go free. And so the Israelite slaves make their exodus from Egypt. But no sooner do they leave that Pharaoh changes his mind, and he gathers his army and chases after the Israelites for a final showdown. As the Israelites pass through the waters of the sea safely, Pharaoh charges towards his own destruction. The Exodus story concludes with the first song of praise in the Bible. It's called the Song of the Sea. And the final line declares that the Lord reigns as king. And then the song retells in poetry what the story of God's kingdom is all about. It's about how God is on a mission to confront evil in his world and to redeem those who are enslaved to evil. God is going to bring his people into the promised land where his divine presence will live among them. This story is what it looks like when God becomes king over his people. So after the Israelites sing their song, the story takes a sharp turn. The Israelites, they're trekking through the wilderness on their way to Mount Sinai, and they're hungry, they're thirsty, and they start criticizing Moses and God for even rescuing them. They say they long for the good old days in Egypt. I mean, it's crazy. So God graciously provides food and water for Israel in the wilderness, but these stories, they cast a dark shadow. And we begin to wonder, could it be that Israel's heart is just as hard as Pharaoh's? We shall see. But for now, that's the first half of the book of Exodus. So did you get all that? Pretty simple, isn't it? But if you, if you read the Bible and if you do devotions every year, you're, it's going to be more and more familiar. Now, some of this may feel like this, there's so much information. And, and yes, there is a lot of information. But the, the key factor is this, that in everything that we read when it comes to the Bible, always think of everything pointing to Jesus. Then, it begins to, then there begins to at least have some kind of uh, central uh, figure that 
everything is pointing towards and, and who that person is pointing towards is Jesus Christ. So when we see Moses uh, being used by God to deliver the people, God used Jesus to deliver us from our sin. So when you read the Old Testament, it doesn't become so, uh, so complex that we're not able to understand it. If you just keep Jesus as the central focus, then things begin to make more and more sense. And as we grow together and as we learn together, uh, we're going to see Jesus pop up here and there throughout Scripture. So I would want to encourage you to read your Bible, get into the Word of God, uh, do your daily devotions. Uh, we, we have no excuse today in not being able to read the Bible because we have free apps on our phones that can help us to read through a, a Bible plan throughout the year. Or if you go to the Resource Center, we have Bibles that you can purchase. But get into the Word of God. It's, it's food for our soul. Imagine if you were to have your favorite restaurant or restaurants at your disposal for free. Yeah, we'd be a little more heavier than we are right now. But that's what we want to do with the Word of God. This is, this is like the buffet for our spirit that we can go to his word and feed, uh, feed our spirit and then strengthen our spirit so that when we live our life and when we go into the world or if we're in relationships and, and at our jobs, wherever we would be, we would have the strength to endure the most difficult times. That's why we're going to go through the Bible this year. I want to take us through the entire Bible so that we can see God's big picture of what he's been doing throughout history. And you're included in that. We're, we're a part of his story so get into the word of God. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about his divine deliverance because that's what Exodus is. Heidi leaned over to me and said, Exodus, movement of Japipo. I was like, I remember that song. We grew up with that. I didn't know that that's what we were learning. We were learning that God's people were being taken out of Egypt. And I thought, boy, if we can learn on purpose the things of God how much further our life would be and how great life could be when we understand the things of God. So we're going to go through chapters 1 through 18 tonight and not, you know, physically, but we're going to kind of jump here and there. Uh, if you use the app, our church app, there are the notes in there and that will help you to follow along. I just want to give you an update on what's happening with our relentless uh, high school ministry and junior high ministry on Wednesday nights. They too want to dig deep into the Bible. So they're going to be doing Bible studies. They're teaching our teens how to do devotions and they're going to do that on Wednesday nights. So the options that our, our teens have is be in Relentless or in here with you. Those are the two options. Uh, if they're somewhere else, uh, they shouldn't be. Uh, they should be either with you or in Relentless. And uh, we want to pr provide that for you as parents also, that, are, that our children can learn about the things of God. But think about uh, what God was doing with his people and, and, and how he was building up the nation of Israel when he gave Abraham the promise that you're going to be a father of, of, of many nations. To, to fathom what God was saying to Abraham, God tried to give him the vision of the stars. You know, he said, Abraham, look up. That's going to be your descendants. And God tries his very best to give us a visualization of what he's going to do in our lives. And that's why when we read the Bible, if we can somehow connect our lives and learn something from the Bible, now we're able to partner up with God in what he's trying to do with us. So tonight as we go through the book of Exodus, the first half... 
Let's not just think of it as stories that happen, but let's think of it in a way that how can we apply it into our lives? How does this affect my life? How does this affect my relationships? How does this affect us as a church? Because God rescued the Israelites from slavery from Egypt. And then he confronts Pharaoh's evil. And, and we learned that in the video, that, that second Pharaoh, after the good Pharaoh, uh, was helping Joseph and, and uh, the Israelites when he was, was no longer Pharaoh or the king and a new king came in, he didn't know about Joseph and, and his family and all of that. So when the Israelites started to multiply, Pharaoh was thinking, they might take us over, so let's enslave them. So that's, that was the beginning of slavery for the Israelites. It's because Pharaoh was afraid that they would take over. Well, now they're enslaved and despite Pharaoh's evil intentions, the heart of God was always to lead his people through divine deliverance. I mean, if, as we read through this, we're going to see God's hand in, in everything. And God is a God of justice, but he, was also, he is also a God who rescues and a God who delivers. The Israelites grow and they're blessed because that, that's what God promised Abraham. They grew, they multiplied, they, they were a blessing and as they multiply and get enslaved and they're going through all that they're going through, they start to become a nation within a nation and almost forgetting about the promise of God. And when we look at what God is able to do, I think every single one of us, we're able to have access to God's divine deliverance, just, how he, just like how he delivered Israel, we have access to the same God who is able to deliver from what imprisons us, from what holds us down, for whatever keeps us from the promises of God's very best. God is able to deliver us for his purposes and from being far from him. He's able to deliver us from whatever holds us back from following him. So here's what we can learn from these chapters. I'm going to break it up into three things. The first one is this, that we need to remember that God never forgets his promises. God never forgets his promises. You know who forgets about God's promises? We do. We forget about God's promises. And what is, what is amazing about God is he puts things in place, just like the rainbow, to, to cause us or to help us to remember his promises. The covenant that he had with people that he will never flood the earth again. So he puts the rainbow in the sky. He gives us these things so that we would remember, but still we forget about the promises of God. And partly because we forget about our promises to one another. And so when there's a promise that is being made, we kind of keep record of that. And, we, and if a promise has been broken or there's distrust or you've been betrayed, when God says, I'm going to hold my promise, we, we, we revert to our, the track record of promises that were broken for us. But what God does is he says, don't, don't focus on those things. Look at who I am. Look, look towards me because my promises are sure. Always remember that God never forgets his promises. And when this new Pharaoh is threatened by the Israelites and puts them into slavery, God's promises were still there. It's, it's at this time when Moses is born and he grows up to be used by God to bring freedom to the Israelites, that he's, Moses himself is still trying to 
stay close to the promises of God. That's where the burning bush comes in, where, you know, Moses sees this and he's wondering, like, how is that not burning that tree? Why is it not burning? So it got his attention. And that's where Moses encountered God and God gave him instruction. Now, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And Pharaoh is stubborn. And because of his stubbornness, the battle for freedom for the Israelites continued to be a struggle. In chapter 6, verses 2 through 6, God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. By the way, Israelites and Hebrews, it's the same, it's the same people. I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. It's not as easy as it seems because Pharaoh still refuses to let them go, and God sends the ten plagues. And you would think that after the first plague, that Pharaoh would let the people go. God turned the Nile into blood. Then following that were frogs. And then the gnats. And then flies. And then all of Egypt's livestock dies. The Israelites' livestock were still alive. And Pharaoh had to check it out. He's like, yeah, all of our livestock is dead. But the Israelites' one, they're still alive. You would think, okay, God must be behind this. Because even their magicians, the Pharaoh's magicians could pull off some of these other things. But the livestock are all dead for the Egyptians. Imagine all the livestock dead. I mean, first of all, the stench, no good. But also the meat supply, gone. So they're now dealing with all the dead livestock. And then, now that's external. Then there are boils they all get boils. That's, that in itself is, I mean, I, I don't know at what, I, I can't imagine the, the Egyptians, like, Pharaoh, come on. <laughs> we're suffering because of this. In fact, some of Pharaoh's, his own men were saying, okay, we got, come on, this is, why do we have to go through all of this? They're, his advisors are telling him, maybe we, should, maybe we should let the people go. I mean, just look, look around what's happening. And Pharaoh still hardens his heart. Then after the boils come hail, and then locust comes. So first the meat is gone, and then the locust comes. So after the meat is gone, all the vegans are like, no matter. Then all the locusts come, then all the vegans are like, now it matters. So now everyone is suffering. There's no meat, there is no vegetation. Locusts, they devour the whole land, and then darkness comes upon the land. So now they can't even see. It's just complete pitch black. But where the Israelites were, they could see. And even still, Pharaoh still did not let God's people go. How stubborn can one be? Don't look at your husband. I'm just joking. We're we're not stubborn as husbands. We're awesome. And then the last one comes in, and this is the one 
that was the devastating blow. It was the death of the firstborn in all of Egypt, even the animals. Just think about everything that took place. Like all of that took place, all the nine plagues before this last one. Doesn't really hurt your heart. You can you can recover from these other things. Yeah, it's gross. It's you know it's 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 uh, it's not convenient. It's uncomfortable. But the death of a firstborn, that one struck him. My question that I ask myself, and maybe we can ask ourselves, is how many plagues does it take for us to turn to God? Is it just one thing, two things, three things? I mean, how often do things have to take place in our lives that we finally turn to God? Sometimes we invite the enemy to bring in plagues into our life. We, we choose to do certain things and, and we, we make room for the enemy to come in. So Satan comes in and he wreaks havoc like locusts. He just devours everything. And God is saying, I, I, turn to me. But we harden in our hearts. And we refuse, we get upset at God, we get mad at God. See, the burning bush caught Moses' attention and Moses did something about it. It didn't affect his life. In fact, the only effect that it had on his life was for positive. Here come the ten plagues, captures Pharaoh's attention. But it took ten plagues in order for Pharaoh to turn. I don't know about you, but I'd rather see fire turn to God than the ten plagues and then turn to God. We have an option Either we're going to follow the flames of God because he captured our attention through him being that consuming fire or we're going to wait till we go through all of these things and then finally turn to God. Now it may seem like, wow, that's kind of evil of God. No, no, it wasn't. It was because of Pharaoh's hardened heart and the evil that was in Pharaoh that all of these things were happening. If Pharaoh let them go from the very beginning, you would not have these 10 plagues. He could have saved all of Egypt this trouble. We, we can save our family trouble, our life trouble from the things that we refuse to let God work in our hearts. When we harden our hearts with God, the matters become worse. When I think of the consequences of my, you know, anger, you know, we, we talk about temper. Some people have a short fuse. Some people have a long fuse. You know, we, we know people who have, have long fuses. They're very patient. They're, they're very calm. And they don't get upset quickly. And then you have those who, I mean, you, you're, you, you're almost afraid of asking questions because their fuse is so short. And then there are some people who have no fuse at all. They're just always angry. They're just always, like, they're, they're, they're a they're not even a ticking time bomb. They just keep blowing up, like just blowing up stuff constantly. And there's, there's a reason why we have different fuses. And it usually has to do with our past, our upbringing. It has to do with things that are happening in our lives. It has to do with our selfishness, even our sinful nature. But what God does is he, he brings these things to the surface and then he shows us this is, this is where you can be. Because the consequences of my anger or my selfishness or my own pride or even my own ego brings in those plagues, different plagues in our life. And it, it, could, be, it could be a tension between two people. It could be the family dynamics that are being broken or, or you know, the relationships going bad. It could be so many things. You should know the plagues that happen in your life. We can name some already. 
that there are certain things that happen in our lives that it almost seems like we can't control it, but it still keeps coming and we don't know why. But the principle is simple. It's are we turning to God or, are, or have we hardened our heart? Or it could very well be that the devil is attacking. Now, very rarely do I give credit to the enemy because the Bible tells me that I am more than a conqueror, that sin is defeated, that Jesus has crushed Satan, and he gives us authority. But there are going to be times where the devil, and the Bible says that he prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. But you and I still have that authority over the enemy. So in order for us to have that divine deliverance, we got to remember that God is the one who delivers us, that we rely on his power and his strength. I love how Bunny was saying for the Paul's conference, I can't tell you how incredibly that, how important that is in a marriage, that we constantly continue to build our marriage. Let's not wait for our marriage to fall apart and then go to a conference or some kind of thing to help our marriage that's why I always say the best time to go to a conference is when your marriage is doing well. That's the best time. Because then you're not, you're not trying to pry all kinds of things off. It's, it's continually being maintained. It's like your car. If we don't, if we don't continuously change oil and, 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 you know, maintain our car, and then we try to do it once every 15 years, your car will die. And so is our marriages and our relationships. That's why with the Paul's Conference, I look at it as a, as a wonderful investment of taking that time to say to our spouses, we're going. Yeah, but nothing's wrong with our marriage. That's why we're going. We've got to keep this fire going. Like, I love you and you love me. So, and, and I know we have this, this relationship and it's strong, but let's keep it strong. Let's put it to another level. I look at it as, uh, we call it the S-curve that as we hit here, we don't wait till we drop back down to now figure things out and then improve here. When we get here, before we drop down, we say, we got to improve. And then when you get here, I got to improve. And you keep climbing. That's the S curve. So just in case there's a, a mishap or, or some mistake or, or you have some type of uh, difficulty in your marriage, even if you should drop, you're not way down here that you could have been if you were just like this. And what that does in our relationships is it keeps us magnifying and representing the God who we know of as the greatest God. He's, he's the only one that can deliver us. And even in our relationships, God looks forward to helping us every step of the way. We're all going to be imprisoned by something. We, we all have a past. We all have behavioral patterns. We have these things. And God says, I want to deliver you. It's going to take some divine deliverance. But because of our forgetfulness, we tend to forget how great God is, how powerful he is, and how amazing he is in how he can work in our lives. But God never forgets. We do. The second thing is to cooperate with God. Just cooperate. Just, I mean, there was this, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you a snapshot picture of, of some things that happened between Heidi and I. And, and uh, I told Heidi, I said, man, we should do a Q&A at the pause conference. That way you can set the record straight for sometimes when I tell stories and, you know, I give my side. Maybe you can give your side. And she's like, maybe we should. So there are times when 
we will say certain things and we will talk about certain things. We'll have a disagreement. And uh, Heidi will ask a question, a simple question. All she needs is a yes or a no. And I'll say yes, and then I'll give my explanation. And then four days later, she's like, you could have just... You could have just said, yes, I didn't need a three-point sermon and scripture and illustrations in there. It's not church right now. Can you, like, just give me a short, concise answer? And so we'll, we'll go through those times. And I, and I thought, so basically what you're saying is, I should just cooperate. She says, yeah, just, it'd be so much easier. Just cooperate. Like, why, why does it have to be so, like, intense? And I thought, yeah, why? Why is it like that? Because we all have different personalities. I mean, wouldn't it be great if at every single time you asked someone to help or whatever it was, it would just be easy. Just cooperate. It would be just that simple. We've had times where, you know, we'd be doing something and then Heidi would ask, oh, you need help? I said, yeah, sure, I need help. And as she's helping, I'm getting upset because she's not helping how I want her to help. You're putting together a shelf and you're trying to screw it in. I said, hold this. Hold it still. No, just hold it right here. Don't move at all. Just hold it still. I am holding it. No, but you're moving. I'm missing the hole. You got to just, I'm trying to put the shelf on. Well, I, if you want me to help you, I can help you. I do want you to help me, but you got you to gotta hold still. You're not, no, no help. You're not helping. You helping is not helping. But we get, we get into those uncooperative modes, not just with one another but even with God himself. And what God looks for is a heart that wants to cooperate. It's as simple as that, but it's our stubbornness and our pride which usually will lead to heartache and pain. That's what happened with Pharaoh. And God wants to deliver us from our own stubbornness, our own pride, our own selfishness, our own egos. He wants to deliver us. He just needs us to cooperate with him. In, in chapter 12, verses 30 through 32, Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt. And this is because of the plague. For there is not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. And then he adds this, and bless me also. And also, bless me. Like, I mean, he's, 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 he's mad, he's upset, but he still has this, you know, I'm Pharaoh. Yeah, leave. Get out of here. And bless me too. Why are you going out of this place from where I am in command? So you have the Passover. God saves his people. They come to the Red Sea. And that's in... That's when Pharaoh is like, why, why do we let them go? Let's go get them. It's like, Pharaoh, you're so like bipolar. So now Pharaoh is chasing them, the whole entire army. God's people are crossing the Red Sea. The whole entire Egyptian army chases after them. And then the Israelites are panicking. They're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And they, again, Moses, why? So they get across the Red Sea. God holds the Egyptians. And then the Egyptians start crossing the Red Sea. The Israelites are safely on the other side, and the Red Sea closes in on the enemies, the, Israelite, uh, the enemies of the Israelites, who are the Egyptians, the entire Egyptian army gone. They're on the other, other side of the Red Sea. They, they sing a praise song to God, 
And they're all happy. They're joyful because they made it. God provides manna for them, quail. And then the people grumble and complain because they're sick and tired of manna. They're sick and tired of quail. And there's no water. Now, they're in the desert. The most important thing you want in the desert is water. When we went to Israel, you better have water. And there are springs in Israel. This is the amazing thing about the promised land is that there's, there's water springs. And that was God's promise to them. He's going to provide for them. In Exodus chapter 17, verses 2 and 4, uh, 2 through 4, they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there. And they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are, all, they are almost ready to stone me. Now Moses cries out to God. He's like, why did you tell me to bring these people? Now there are about uh, close to two million people. So now Moses has to lead these people. They're grumbling against him. Now if one person grumbles against you, like you can handle Unless it's your wife or husband, that's, that's, that's different because it's right, you know, it's someone in close proximity. But if someone is grumbling to you, you can manage that. Two people, you can manage. But you have thousands of people grumbling against you? That's like politics. That's exactly where Moses was. He was that leader where all the people are grumbling and saying, this is what we want. How come we can't have this? And they're grumbling against him. And Moses turns to God, which he's smart to do. He turns to God, cries out to God and says, God, what, what am I to do with these people? They're about to kill me. So what does God do? God provides water for them. And you think the people are satisfied, but they still grumble. It's amazing that God provides water through the rock and Moses Strikes the rock and here comes water. If you read the New Testament, that, that moment is likened, it's like the foreshadow to what was going to happen to Jesus, that he was nailed to the cross. But he also gave us the water of life. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, Paul the apostle who's speaking to the church in Corinth, he says, I don't want you to forget dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If Jesus was able to provide for them in the desert, tell me Jesus cannot provide for us during our desert times. He can still provide for us. He can still give us the spiritual food we need. He can still provide for us the necessities of life. He still provides for us. The people grumble. They want to go back to Egypt. And then they blame Moses for their present condition. But God still doesn't forget his promises. The people refused to cooperate with God, which they could have entered into the promised land in a short amount of time, within two weeks, but it took them 40 years. But then the last thing we learn is this, and, and this is the one where what we learned from what they were going through, resist the temptation 
to go back to old ways. Old ways, what, what, what I mean from that is, you know when you come to know Jesus Christ, you're, like your eyes are open that, wow, there's a, there's a new way to live. There's a, a better way to live. There's a way to love people. There's a way for our relationship to work better. There's, like God opens our eyes. And so we live for the things of God and, and we're empowered by God. We're saved by grace. And we have a Savior. We also have a Lord. One in the same. Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And sometimes we only see him as Savior, but he's also our Lord. Like when he gives us instructions and we cooperate with him and resist the temptation to go backwards to our old life, we can always see the greater things ahead and look forward to the life that God has for us. It's so tempting to revert back to our old ways because we're comfortable with that. We have neural pathways in our brain that has built habits over the years. And so we, we automatically revert back to our old ways. But if we resist that temptation, then we're able to allow God to come in and God to renew our spirit and to renew our mind, whether it's our temper or, or our jealousy or lying or distrust, cheating, stealing, whatever our old life was about, falsehood, arrogance, pride, selfishness, or like with the Israelites, what we're learning was stubbornness, slander, gossip, being mean to people. That, that old life, God says, why go back to that old life? You've forgotten what that old life was like. That's why you cried out to me. That's what happened with the Israelites. They forgot that they were slaves in Egypt. And they were saying, oh boy, it was better in Egypt. The food was so much better. We have this manna and quail, like crackers and just like birds. This is what we're eating. We had, we had good stuff in Egypt. We had restaurants in Egypt. We had good food in Egypt. We had prime rib in Egypt. Now we're eating crackers. We should go back to Egypt. The, the flesh of man can cause us to forget about the promises of God. And that's what they were being enticed by was the flesh of man which caused them to forget about the promises of God. They wanted to go backwards. They wanted to go back to Egypt. God knows better, which I'm so glad that God kept them from going back to Egypt. Because God saw the promised land. He knew the promises that were going to be beneficial for his people. See, we turn to God to get us out of our Egypt, you know, our past life or that, that, that old self that was enslaved by sin. And sometimes when things are going well or we're tempted, we revert back to our days of Egypt, forgetting that that's slavery. And once again, we're enslaved by our own demise and we struggle with that. Oh, we praise God when we cross the Red Sea and, and we're safe. We praise God, but then we complain when we struggle. The Israelites encountered war after war after war, even till this day. It's like they, they, they continue to fight for the promises of God. In fact, one of the encounters that they had were with the Amalekites, which they did battle with for years in Exodus chapter 17, Joshua, who is the next leader to come up after Moses, Joshua was Moses' assistant. Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. 
When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under, under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and her held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other side, or one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. You know, when they were holding up the hands of Moses, I, I look at that and I think, wow, there are people that God surrounds us with that encourage us, that hold, they hold us up too. That people pray for us, people build us up, and sometimes even in, this own, even in our own church, people will do that for us. Or you may be that person for someone else. You pray with someone, you, you hold them up, you encourage them, you build them up. That's an important role, and we do that for each other. That's how we win battles. It's together as the body of Christ. That's why we do what we do here. It's so that we can serve and learn together. There's something significant about the body of Christ, especially when we gather like this, that we're, we're built up as his body. And as God is trying to deliver us from our fears, our past mistakes, our sins, as well as our own insecurities, there are going to come battles, constant battles that come our way. Some of it is our own doing sometimes, but some are from situations that come our way. But as believers, we want to be the kind of people that do our very best to please God. We want to do our very best to follow his ways. And sometimes that comes with the price of doing too much. Because we can go either way. We can do so much that we work ourselves to death. We call it burnout. Because we want to do well. And we want to do things consistently. But what we learn, even with where Moses was at in having so many responsibilities, that Moses' father-in-law comes up to him and says, what are you doing, Moses? He said, well, all the people are coming to me with problems. So if they have a problem, I have to help them because God, God can deliver. And, and he, 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 we're a nation. We're, we're one big family, so we want to help one another. And Jethro, who's Moses' father-in-law, says, but what you're doing is not healthy. You're going to burn yourself out. You're going to die. God also wants to deliver us from burnout too. It's not just the things that are evil or the, you know, the things that are in our hearts. It's also from burning out. In chapter 18, verses 17 through 22, Jethro says, have them, have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. He said, break them up into, you know, thousands, hundreds, tens, and just let them lead. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. I want to pray for us tonight as, as believers, as Christians, that we would heed God's voice, 
that we cannot do this alone. To, in order for us to live life and to be effective and to be an influence for God, we got to do this together. That it's going to take all of us. It's not just one person doing everything. It's the body of Christ being utilized by God. So there may be things that we're going through, maybe a, a past hurt, a pain, anything. It could, be, it could be doubts. It could be insecurities. It may be fears. Remember that God never forgets his promises, that he's the one that delivers us, and he's going to be there for us. We just cooperate with him. And when we cooperate with God, God brings out the very best in us. We're going to remember some, some old times. We're going to be tempted to do the things we used to. And maybe, maybe you're, you're a person who made a decision and it was a very good decision for the things of God and, and you're, you've disciplined yourself for the purpose of godliness and you've been doing good. Keep doing good. Fight the good fight. You keep going. Resist the temptation to go backwards or to revert to old ways because God still has promises for us. Never stops and never ceases. His promises are sure. It's always available to us. Let's pray tonight and, and, and pray for that. Lord, we do thank you for how you, how you deliver us from not just our sin or past life, but you also deliver us from the way we think that are not consistent with your word or your ways. You never forget your promises, which tells us that your promises are always available. We just need to cooperate with you. We're going to be tempted. We're going to be tempted by the enemy. We're going to be enticed by our own emotions. May we not go backwards, Lord. We want to move forward. So help us to do so. When our mind tells us otherwise and our mind starts wandering away from you, draw us back to you. You're, you're the one who has the power to do so. And, that, and that's why we turn to you. May we not wait for the plagues to come in. Let's just heed your voice. You're the great I am. And when we see that flame, may we turn and acknowledge that, that you're capturing our attention. And you want our attention. We want to pay close attention to you. And I pray that for all of us. So can you do that in our hearts right now, Lord? And maybe for you right now, just take about 30 seconds. If there is anything in your heart, anything that you need to make right with God, forgiveness, it could be you want to obey God, whatever it is, you just take a couple seconds and you talk with God. He hears your heart. Lord, we thank you for being our divine deliverer, the one who delivers us from whatever pulls us away from you. I pray for all of us that as we leave here tonight, 
we would never forget your promises because you never do. We hang, we hang on tight and stay close to you because you are our God and we trust in you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. We all sit together. Amen. Amen. Next week we continue. And by the way, next week, just to give you a heads up, uh, Kat Konanui, and some of you know Kat, she's going to team teach with me, and we're going to go through Exodus chapters 19 through 40, and it's going to be a good one. So I, I pray that you can make it next week.